0: Beloved, if you would, remain standing and open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to read verse 20 through the end of that chapter, and before I do so, let's ask the Lord's blessing upon us. Now, gracious Father, it is in the name of Jesus that we have gathered to adore you and to worship you, to submit ourselves to you in this sweet ministry. And so now, Father, as we come to the reading and the preaching, the explanation of your most holy word, we ask for enlightenment and understanding. We ask, O Lord, that you would attend this grace, Lord, with power. Lord, for those who are saved, Lord, to continue to be saved, to be saving, Lord, to continue to bear upon us the ministry of truth, Lord, that we might be sanctified, that we might grow in our understanding, grow up in our emotions, grow up in the discipline of our Lord actions and responsibilities, to grow up in Christ, Lord, if there, are, and for those that are not. Lord, Christians yet come with power, Lord, to bring new life, saving life. And Lord, along the way, whether saved or not, Lord, come and destroy the pride of man. Come and, Lord, put in check our arrogance and refocus our attention upon the cross of Christ. Help us, O Lord, rest in that humble service of christ and not be eager lord not not eagerly seek the applause of this world and we pray all of this in christ's name amen Amen. well beloved i want to begin reading at verse 20 hear the word of god where is the wise man where is the scribe where is the debater of this age has not god made foolish the wisdom of the world for Since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. And God was pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to the Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are called. Both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world. And the despised God has chosen the things that are not. So that he may nullify the things that are. So that no man may boast before God. But by his doing you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And thus ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. There's an Old Testament passage of scripture that is another death knell if you will towards man's pride and arrogance if you would turn there to Deuteronomy chapter 8 I want to read from that portion of God's word as well as we lay the foundation of the message this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 11 11 through 20 listen to Moses's admonition Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes, which I am commanding you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud. And you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, not a house of slavery. And he led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought water for you out of the rock of Flint. In the wilderness he fed you manna which your fathers did not know. That he might humble you. That he might test you. To do good for you in the end. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, My power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who is giving you the power to make wealth, that He may confirm His covenant, which He swore to his fathers that it is this day it shall come about if you ever forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them. I testify against you today that you will surely perish like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you so you shall perish because you would not listen to the voice of the Lord your God. Certainly different circumstances, but the same principle applies. Brothers and sisters, we struggle mightily with pride. Interestingly enough, these comments that Moses gave to Israel before going into the promised land, well, it came after a whole host of miracles that God had performed in their favor. And he mentioned some of them. The crossing of the sea, the protection, the feeding of the manna, the, the water from, from this flinty rock, flint being hard as steel, and yet God brought water out of it and gave them and quenched their thirst from it, and yet still needing to be admonished to remember the Lord and not forget the Lord and to remember that all of these things that they would see as blessings in this temporal life not lead them away from the Lord, not to be like the other nations. Paul similarly is reminding the church at Corinth that has fallen to this great sin of pride They had become interested in the philosophers of their age, the philosophers of their day, and it has caused great upheaval in the church. It has certainly fractured the church. It has brought doctrinal error into the church and even immorality of the sexual kind into the church. They were suffering from being wiser than God if you wanna sum it up. They had determined for themselves, this is good for me. I shall indulge in it. I will determine for myself. I will put God at my discretion and judgment. And we're all subject to that. And we need to take heart to these types of scriptures. The portion that we're looking at this morning will help put that in check for us. And I think that's a good thing. And I hope you do too. Beloved, these first four chapters laid the foundation of what I would understand and what I would want us to understand as a gospel ministry, a Christian ministry. And they were leaving that foundation and Paul is bringing them back and reminding them that this is the foundation. This is what you were saved by. This was the power of God to you that saved you that changed you that converted you and so now you are leaving this foundation for the foolishness of the world. We can look at it in several ways. I mean the, the, I think from here forward it would it would be very reasonable. It would be accurate. To title all the ongoing messages in these first four chapters, God's wisdom versus the spirit of the age. Because that's the heart of it. And this is always the case. This is even in Moses' day, the spirit of the age, the, the worship of these pagan gods and these, these pagan deities, these localized gods or what you might call the worship on these high places. Moses had to warn them, don't go into the land of Canaan and begin to envy their worship, their worship styles. I think it could even be summed up, don't even, don't even long the way they dress when they go into worship. Don't look at anything about them and think you're lacking something. You're missing something. Because, beloved, that is one of the ultimate lies of the devil. You can sit here this morning and long to be somewhere else because you don't fully understand what God is doing to you and with you and with all your brothers and sisters in this moment. And you can miss it. And many do. Don't long for the things of the world. God, as Paul says, has constantly destroyed the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of the ages. That's what he does. He is constantly bringing forth, if you will, this kingdom of God, this kingdom of light, and doing it in such a way that it is profoundly offensive to the arrogant and prideful. Profoundly offensive. Mind-boggling offensive. How could we stoop so low to believe in this crucified Savior? As those philosophers dealt with Paul on the, uh, in Athens, right? On Mars Hill. Who is this babbler? <laughs> Had the Greek word, who is, this, who is this seed picker? Meaning, who is this little bird? That is, they viewed Paul as this little sparrow compared to their giant philosophy, their intellect. Who who is this babbler? Listen, let's let him speak so that we might scoff and laugh at his teaching. And of course, what happened? God demonstrated his power in the cross of Christ, but some believed Paul. Now we're gonna talk about that mechanism this morning. Did they figure it out? Did Paul use fancy, logical syllogisms? Did he use the philosophical persuasions of the day? Did he do all of these fancy things he couldn't have because they were mocking him? He just talked about the creator of the world. And how all men owe this creator their allegiance and service and worship. And how no one can come to this creator except through his son, Jesus Christ. That all men are dead in sin and must be born again to come to God. Beloved, Paul makes this clear. Let's look at some of these passages in these first four chapters. And, and make sense of it. Look at chapter two, we've read the first chapter, you have that before you, and you look at chapter two, and Paul says in these first few verses, and when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is all the doctrine of the atonement. I was with you in weakness, and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom. But in the demonstration of the spirit and of power. So that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men. But on the power of God. I mean that's, that's, that's it right there. That's what the church is birthed from. That's the foundation. It's not the wisdom of men. I mean, Paul, I mean, if you would, you could think about those famous philosophers that lived before Paul and whose teaching was very prominent even in Paul's day, like Socrates, Aristotle, Plato, Pythagoras. All of these philosophers had left their mark on the ancient world that Paul lived in. And yet none of these men produced salvation in their teaching. None of these men were able to bring sinners to God. And that's what Paul is saying. Whoever the the prominent voice was at this time, Paul doesn't mention them. I know he knew who they were. Of course Paul knew who they were. And maybe it's a, a a slight slap, spiritual slap for Paul not to mention them. They're not that important. But Paul does say he didn't come with any of their teachings. He didn't come with any of their techniques any of their rhetoric or any of their doctrines or any of their schemes. He said, oh, he came with the simple doctrine of Christ and his atonement, and that proved to be the power of God to bring them to God and to save them out of their sins. <laughs> Look at chapter 3. Chapter 3 and, um. Just a couple of verses here. Verse 18, and let no man deceive himself if any man among you thinks he is wise. What? In this age. He must become foolish so that he may become wise. Verse 21, so then let no one boast in men for all things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the word God. Uh, are the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come. All things belong to you, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. Paul, again, moving them from this, this, this false uh, assurance that somehow that these men, these modern-day uh, uh, thinkers could somehow profit them in knowing God and leading them in the kingdom of God. Paul says it's 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 not right it's wrong and and they have to abandon these things look at chapter four look at what Paul says in verse one he says let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God if you stop and think about it what is Paul saying Paul says we apostles these ministers are not innovators you know, we're not like the philosophers. You know, philosophy is, is just, I, I don't, you know, I, I went to study philosophy and, and read the ancient philosophers and the medieval philosophers and all of these things, and this is what I come up with. Now, this is just a, this is just a South Georgia understanding, a South Georgia boy understanding of this philosophy. A much to do about nothing. All of these men have come together to pontificate in darkness what the world is about. That's it. A waste of time. This is what I learned and i well I say a waste of time. Is it a waste of time? It's a waste of time if you think you're going to somehow be brought closer to God by it. It's a waste of time. If you think it's going to somehow improve your life, it's a waste of time. But if you want to know what fallen men pontificate and wonder, well, by all means, study these fallen men and you will learn these things. In fact, let me give you a few things that Socrates, Socrates focused on virtue. That's it. Just be virtuous. You don't have to be godly. You don't have to be a believer. You you just be basically moralism. That's Socrates or that's Socrates. Plato. Plato believed solely and exclusively in philosophy. That philosophy was the key that unlocked the universe. Now, Paul is not against philosophy, beloved. We can go to Colossians chapter 2. And Paul says, be careful of humanistic philosophy. Be careful of that philosophy that is developed of the earth and is carnal. is without the spirit of God. And that's the difference Plato, again, he thought philosophy unlocked the world to the student, that faith was not needed. Aristotle, Aristotle focused on experience. It's your experience that gives you value and understanding in this life. Basically, you could say, you know, uh, what is it? Experience is is a good teacher. When the real saying is experience is a costly teacher. The book of Proverbs tells us if we can learn through being told, you know, what's evil, if we can learn through, you know, learning, that is, if we can learn what's good and evil through the learning aspect of these things, why would we want to experience it? Why don't we listen to wise people? Pythagoras believed, as you probably already know, that math unlocked all the mysteries of the universe. Now, beloved, listen to me. These these philosophies, these principles are still alive and well today. We still have people in our own day and time telling us how to unlock the ancient mysteries of the Bible. Unlock the code of scripture. Unlock the ancient texts that the Bible mimicked. And see, and then you'll unlock the conscious universe. If you can embrace the consciousness of Christ, this this stuff is taught even today. And many sitting in church are lapping it up because they don't truly know the power of the cross, okay? And I don't want you to fall into those same uh, traps, if you will, so let's kind of look at uh, <clears throat> Paul's as he begins right there in verse 20. And I guess understanding, beloved, that so much, so much of today, so much of our own day, our own spirit of the age that's labeled Christian is not Christian. Okay. Okay. I was invited several years ago to uh, be the speaker at a Christian homeschooling graduation. And um, it was eye-opening for me. I mean, what would you expect at a Christian homeschooling association? You'd expect Christian things, right? You'd expect... Christian doctrine you'd expect Christian principles Christian rules and and virtues being magnified and exalted and spoken about and all of these various things and yet it was nothing like that now I mean nothing like that in fact the valedictorian who quoted his most favorite philosopher you thought maybe Solomon You'd be wrong. No, he decides to quote Nietzsche, a deranged psychopath. And I thought, wow, okay, I see what kind of we're going with this. And throughout, listen, and I, you know, my wife tells me, you're, you're being a little harsh. And I thank God for her. But listen to me. All along the way in this Christian homeschooling graduation, there was no exaltation of Christ. I don't remember there being any lengthy mention of Christ other than in Christ's name in the prayer, a very humanistic prayer. And I I, I got, and of course, I had my time (laughs) and I did my best to correct the moment and was because beloved in this in this service what was exalted was the pride of man mm-hmm. our pride is the antithesis of the cross do you believe that your pride is the antithesis of the cross of christ It's the greatest enemy. It's the original enemy of God, is the pride that Satan had, Lucifer had, when he rebelled against God. And that's why many of the people that we would acknowledge as great theologians say that pride is the mother of all iniquity. That somehow, some way, all sins flow from that mother, flow from that original sin of pride. What did Satan use to convince Adam and Eve that they could do better than God? Pride. He puffed them up. He built them up and said, oh, you could really have so much more. And I go back and I'm going to finish my thought a few moments ago, beloved. One of the tricks of Satan is to convince you you you're lacking something. So many young Christian people, that's why they leave the church. They think they're missing something. They think they lack something, they think there's something else out there that's gonna fill my heart up, that's gonna satisfy me, that's gonna somehow make me a better person, and there's nothing outside of the cross of Christ that's gonna do that for you. Nothing. There's there's not going to be, Paul says this, beloved, and, and, and so let's begin working through this. He says, where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where's the philosopher? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Paul of Paul is now bringing uh, to bear. Well, Listen, if, if if you're so advanced, if you've been brought along, if you are are, are so um, growing up, if you will, if you're so, if in this kingdom, well, okay. Where's the teacher? Where's the debater? Well, where, where's, the, where's the philosopher? Paul wants to know who they are. If you're advancing in the kingdom of God, who's aiding you, who's helping you, who saved you? And of course, these three classifications of people, I think we could say that Paul is encompassing all of the uh, appropriate suspects, if you will, of his day. We might add scientists to it. Where's the scientist of the, the age, right? Trust the science, we're told. I mean philosopher, these modern day philosophers, we might call them influencers. Where's the scientist? Where's the influencer? The debater is something interesting because the Greek word used there is the one who challenges tradition. The one who comes, who who loves to to sort of put to the test, why are we doing these things? Aren't we more civilized than this? Sort of modernism. The one who comes and and sort of wants to wreck, or wreak havoc, if you will, wreck traditions, good traditions, there are good traditions, you know. We see that going on all over the world. (laughs) What's being wrecked is are these Western in the Western world are these Christian traditions that have well been used for hundreds and hundreds of years to do what to foster this sense that God is greater than us and is beyond us. They don't save, they never have saved, they never will save, but yet these traditions are good because it puts in perspective and focus that we are not the end-all be-all of anything which is the spirit of this age is, well, humanism, atheism. Man is the pinnacle. I remember going online and reading the Human Manifesto. I encourage you to do it. And why would I encourage you to go read the Human Manifesto? Well, because you may find yourself in agreement with some of those things. And you may find yourself say, oh, I've heard this in school. Oh, I've heard Christians use this statement before. Guess what? It comes right there in the Humanist Manifesto. And brothers and sisters, Paul is calling out these wise men, these scribes, these teachers, these debaters. And he says, has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? Let me ask you this, and this is the application here. How did you come to know Christ? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. How did you come to know Christ? Did you, did you come to know Christ because somebody presented to you a logical explanation and syllogism or, or uh, 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 you know, system of belief and you went, makes sense to me. Is that how you came to know Christ? Probably not. I hope not. Even though we may talk like that. This morning we're able to look at this. It says, Where's your hope? That's what Paul is actually addressing here. Where is your hope? How did God manifest the saving power of Christ in your life? You say, Well, I grew up in the church. Fantastic. Praise God. We want people growing up in church. But there also comes a time when there is this consciousness of the power of God. That must be yours. And that's why before taking the Lord's Supper, we have that moment of clarity. Who, who Do you trust in Christ to cleanse you of your sins? Do you solely rest in him for your salvation? Yes. That there's this consciousness of understanding. If you're not the consciousness of the universe. Don't confuse the two. I'm not equating them as the same. We'll get to that maybe in a minute. This is your hope. Who did? How did you come to know Christ? Was it through these wise men, these scribes, these philosophers? I mean, listen, even the scribes of the day, right? Those who handled the word of God. Look how Jesus had to correct them in his day." Look how Paul had to correct the scribes of his time. Paul even had to, well, rebuke Peter. When the Jews had come together with the Gentiles and they segregated themselves, Paul was saying, that action is antithetical to the cross of Christ. You say, "Well, I came to, I came to know Christ, and, you know, through supernatural powers, through supernatural means." And you, I mean, Paul even addresses it here, and he says, "Look, where are the debaters of? The, has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? I this, none of these things lead to salvation. None of these things have been used to save you at all." Because he says in verse 22, the Jews seek for signs in Greek search for wisdom. Superstition, the, Greeks, the, the Jews were superstitious, or your version may say miracles. Pentecostalism is notorious for that today. I've talked with people who, who have these fantastical new birth experiences, and it, let me say this about the supernatural and miracles versus There are these, there are those among us that don't like the ordinary. Don't like the ordinary. They don't like the regiments. Right? They don't like the rudiments, they don't like the, the, the principles, the regulations, the statutes if you will. They don't like understanding you know, what it is to be a member of a church, what it is to come and bring yourself into the collective worship of God's people. There are those that would rather walk out in the woods by a lake or by a mountain or by the seashore and, and have this experience... And and that experience draws them close to God. They don't like the ordinary. The Jews didn't like the ordinary, they wanted something else. They wanted something more. Jesus, give us a sign. Signs are not a problem. Moses received a sign. Gideon received a sign. Joshua received a sign. So it's not, the problem is not with the sign. It's not a problem with God giving a sign. The problem is the intention of it. And what offended Christ was that he had to somehow convince them why they became the judges. See, I'm not satisfied with the ordinary. You got to do something more for me. I need something grander. I need something that, that's just, just you know, a cut above you. I just need something more than that. That's one of the things I always had a problem with about testimonies, and I love Christian testimonies. I love to listen to them, but it was almost like it was getting to wear one up to the other one. You know, um, uh, You know, Life couldn't get worse until you heard the next testimony. (laughs) You know, and it just kept getting bigger and grander, if you will. But here's the thing, beloved. How did you come to know Christ? You didn't come to know Christ through those experiences. You didn't come to know Christ through those terrible situations. You came to know Christ through the Spirit taking the doctrine of Christ and applying it to your heart. That's why Paul calls it the power of God. Notice what he says in verse 21, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. You don't come to know God through these modern day influencers or scientists or philosophers. He says, no, God was pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Now, Paul calls it foolishness because he's he's, playing on the words here, that's what they call it. That's what the world calls preaching, foolishness. That's what the world calls the doctrine of atonement, foolishness. That's what the world calls this crucified Christ and his resurrection, that's foolishness. I mean, what did they say on Mars Hill? What did those philosophers say? Oh, you mean to tell me you're talking about the resurrection? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. (laughs) Preposterous, impossible. That's crazy talk, Paul. That's the way the world is. Because the world lies in in darkness and under the veil of ignorance through Satan and unbelief. And only the Holy Spirit can remove that veil. You and I were under that veil at one time. We couldn't make sense of it. We may have been embarrassed by it. We may have been, I don't know about that. I mean, that's kind of a, you know i remember as a young christian trying to figure out you know i mean i was a good public school uh participant i mean when i did go when i kind of you know at times i was a great student but i remember sitting down, i'm reading my bible and i hadn't been a christian long and i'm sitting here reading through genesis and i'm reading creation account and i'm sitting here going i remember thinking wait a minute I remember where I was when I had this thought. I mean, I remember this whole moment. I remember thinking, "Wait, wait, wait, wait a minute! Now, did God create cave people, and Adam, or just Adam? I'm just trying to figure this. How? I mean, I'm trying to I'm trying to understand here. Now, you laugh because you say, "Well, I, you know, I wasn't raised in church," and I'm trying to reconcile Scripture with the science of the day, the, the spirit of the age. I think you can tell who prevailed, Amen. the power of God. Amen. But I remember distinctly wondering, how does that happen? What are we doing here? How do I, what am I supposed to think about this? I mean, is this wrong? Is this a lie? This is, this is what we don't do when we build churches, right? When, when churches are founded, when churches are built, as Paul says, upon this foundation that is Christ. We don't come and then, we don't come through the power of God and then, as Paul said, begin to build on this foundation with sticks and stubble. This is what churches do when they, well, come back to the doctrine of creation being evolution or theistic evolution or whatever version of it that's not biblical. Or the thoughts of man. I mean, there's a lot of theories out there, a lot of techniques out there. Again, as I mentioned, one of the most, um, uh, I guess, profitable genres in book publishing is self-help manuals. Right? Because we can fix ourselves, that's what we're told. The problem is your technique. The problem is you're not getting up early enough. You're not going to bed early enough. The problem is your habits. The problem is this, it's that, it's this and another. But that's not the problem. The problem with struggling with life begins with submitting to Christ and believing in him. That's initial and primary. And first and foremost, when you come to a pastor and you begin laying out your problems, one of the first things we need to do is do you know Jesus? because we don't want to teach moral techniques to the dead. We want to teach these moral principles to those who are in Christ and have been given the power of God unto, what does Paul say in chapter one? He says in verse 30, but by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, not by, you didn't do this, he did this, who became to us, Wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So, beloved, whether you're having problems in your marriage, problems in your parenting, problems with your siblings, problems in your church, remember, first and foremost, let's examine and make sure that we're in Christ, that he's our wisdom that he is leading us, that he is the one that is, well, doing this work in us and is our wisdom and our righteousness and our sanctification and our redemption. And these actions are nothing more than the offering up of that which glorifies God, which is what we're created to do. So again, I ask you, beloved, beloved, How did you come to know Christ? Intellectually, experientially, or powerfully? Secondly, we need to beware of two extremes, and that is the supernatural extreme and the intellectual extreme. That somehow we judge our fitness or we judge our value and worth or we judge our being in favor with God through some experience? The Jews seek miracles? Signs? Or through the intellect? Now, beloved, Paul had an experience. I I am not discounting experiences and I'm not saying no Christian has ever had an experience. But it's clear that Paul is saying that these are not the ordinary ways that the power of God comes to his people. The ordinary way the power of God comes to the people of God in a saving sense is what? Through the message of the gospel. It's, and it's, it's interesting that it's, it's one of the last things we want. <laughs> you know, we have churches today that are just all about experience. And the worship service is, is, is geared to cultivating experiences. Now, beloved, here's our experience this morning, that the word of God is laid open and the ability of the minister has laid things before you that you should ponder ponder and consider and 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 what see that Christ has destroyed my arrogance that I couldn't bring myself to God even in an experience i can't bring myself to God intellectually and we're not anti-intellectual we're not anti-education but if you think education is going to somehow give you favor with God and bring you into favor with God, you are mistaken. And there's a place for education in the Christian life for sure. Because we promote sound education and sound principles of life because God exists and God is and God has given us these rules, laws, and principles to live by and to know and to understand. It's interesting, though, even in our education system, John Dewey, the father of modern education. Yeah, y'all didn't know I knew that, but I do know some things. You know what he said education is for? To create good citizens. To create good citizens. That's not the purpose of, that's not the Christian understanding of education. The Christian understanding of education is verse 31, so that it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Everything you learn fosters your boasting in worship of the Lord and service of the Lord. Everything you learn, you learn that how good God is, how glorious He is, how magnificent, how beneficent all of the all of our education is used as we unlock the world that god has put us in is to give us opportunity to praise and glorify the lord beloved pride and arrogance is antithetical to the cross of christ and every time you and i think we have figured something out is a sin when we are nothing more than the objects of god's saving mercy And I think that's just one of the ways in which we have failed the world that we live in. Oh, you don't believe in election? You don't believe in predestination? Now, beloved, I understand the debate and the argument, and I'm for it. But we did not come to these these truths in a vacuum. Paul says... But by his doing, you are in Christ. That's not to say he didn't use your intellect, but that your intellect was submissive to his word. Your intellect was brought into submission to his work of salvation. Your experience was brought into submission to his work of salvation in you. Whatever you experienced, that warm feeling that flowed over you is not to be rested in, but to understand that I have been washed by the Spirit of God, and it's God's doing We have to put to death, beloved, our pride in the kingdom of God. We have to put to death our pride when it comes to the cross of Christ. Paul goes on, he says these things. He says, listen, how did you come to know Jesus? Where's the scribe? Where's the philosopher, right? Where's the debater of this age? And he talks about in verse 21 the, the foolishness of the message. This is the ordinary means by which God is ordained for us to come to know the gospel. And yet verse 22, some seek signs and miracles and some seek wisdom. But verse 23 says, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are called, there you go again, something divinely working upon the one saved, both Jews. Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. That's where you need to be this morning. You say, look, I came to know Christ. Well, let me me use myself as an example. When I first came to know Christ, I thought it was just my decision. I didn't know any better. As the Lord grew me up and taught me the word of God. I learned it was His doing. You understand? I was a babe in Christ, I didn't know things and I needed to learn things. But what does Christ do to those who are babes in Christ? He grows them up. He grows us up with teachers, sound teaching. People that can teach the Bible. People that are not teaching worldly philosophy. Here, Look, the world's spirit of the age, listen, what is it? Let me give you a good definition. It's everything that is without the Holy Spirit. Everything that is without the Holy Spirit, that's the spirit of the age. Whatever it is, it can be humanism, moralism taught in church. It's without the Spirit of God. It's worldly, Right? And now you've got all of these New Agers, these Christian New Agers talking about Christ consciousness, talking about the ancient Gnostic Gospels and how they were removed from the Bible because they did not want us all to know the secret mysteries. And it is, you you know, it's just nothing more than the church that's grown tired of the cross and they're seeking something else. They're seeking the sci-fi fantastical And I've even found myself regionally posting on some of these forums because it's sad to see Christians who claim to be Christians falling into these traps, these intellectual traps. More, maybe more about that at lunch. Beloved, Paul goes on to say, And this is important for us to understand. He says, those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong, the base things of the world, and the despised God has chosen the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. Let me say this. Don't you, have you ever recognized that the clubs that, you know, that is, these elites, I mean, for the lack of a better term, these elites, these scribes, these philosophers, these teachers, right, these debaters, they're above you. They're above you. They figured all this out. And if you were like them, you would know these things. But you're not like them. You're not in their club. You are beneath. What is Paul saying? Do you not know that none of us are worthy to be in the club? Remember the Jews? you know, how the, the, the boastfulness we see today of all of the, quote, Israelites in, in Israel. Isn't it amazing how God said, I didn't choose you because you were strong. I didn't choose you because you were anything but you were pitiful in the sight of the nations. And I chose you to put my name upon you. Meaning I gave you your, I gave you what you have. Same way with us. God says, Listen. You're not among the elites. And yet God chose us through the power of the cross and the power of the gospel to bring us into into the spiritual life and the spiritual kingdom to sanctify us and to change us and to grow us up. And he says, and you remain, you cause the elites to be staggered because you're able to put to death these and moralities in Christ. You're able to put off these bad habits in Christ. You're, You're empowered to do what? To be sanctified. And Paul says, and that staggers the nobility, the elites, the philosophers. Why? Because you didn't use their philosophy. You didn't follow the keys that unlock the principles of the cosmos. You did not seek their wisdom in order to put down your greedy heart, in order to put down your sexual perversions, in order to put down your uh, your being effeminate. You didn't need their wisdom in order to be delivered from the bondage of sin. You didn't need their wisdom. You needed the power of the cross. That's what Paul is saying. And Paul says, all of this is yours in Christ. It's God's doing so that you may boast in him. Beloved, let me end what I started with. Arrogance and pride is antithetical to the gospel. It's antithetical to the cross of Christ. If that has never been destroyed in your life, and when I say destroyed, I don't mean eradicated, fully, never, never to spring back up in some way or another because it happens but that it should be for the Christian, pride is repulsive. It's, when I boast in myself, I take away the glory of God. I failed to give God glory. And I don't wanna do that because he saved me. He delivered me. I wasn't noble. I wasn't smart. I wasn't elite. I wasn't strong. And yet Christ delivered me from the bondage of sin and darkness. He delivered me out of the hands of the father of lies. So that I may be saved and glorify God. Beloved, that's our calling. That's the foundation of this church and all Christian churches. And we must hold the line, amen? And not allow these, vain, these influencers, these teachers, these philosophers, these, these Princeton men, these Harvard men, these Stanford men. You know, I started to make a joke earlier and say, you know, it'd be nice if we could just, you know, be ruled with these educated men like these Harvard people and Princeton people. I said, oh, wait a minute, we are. <laughs> and look at us. Look at the wisdom of the world. And God is putting it to foolishness. And He's going to use the cross of Christ to do it. Don't be ashamed of the gospel, beloved. Don't be ashamed of Christ. It's the power of God, Paul says, unto salvation. They need saving, they need deliverance from the foolishness of this world and the darkness and lies of Satan. And we have it in Christ, and we have the gospel, and we have the message and we need to give it to them. Let's pray. Father, we are blessed to remember your greatness, that you're greater than all men, you're greater than all teaching, you're greater than all philosophies, you're greater, Lord, than all techniques and theorems and theories. And Lord, you are God and there is no one like you. And Lord, we are so glad that we can be reminded that the blessing of salvation didn't come through a technique, didn't come to us through some intellectual syllogism, but it came in power to us. It opened our eyes. It it awakened us from the dead spiritually. It gave us a new heart, a new disposition, a new outlook upon life. It gave us a, a hunger and thirst for righteousness and holiness that we didn't have before. It gave us a love for our brothers and sisters Lord, it's the power of God and the salvation, and Lord, we thank you for it. And we pray that you would, Lord, continue to bless the ministry of the word in this church, Lord, in all your churches, but Lord, in this church, that it would go forth with power and save, Lord, your elect, save those who are lost, Lord, and continue to sanctify those who are saved. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.